Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. From the baddest borough in the world, Brooklyn, New York, it's Blazing Rye Radio. Tonight, the author of Fine on Acting, Howard Fine. Plus, we remember the King of Pop, Michael Jackson, with special guest Jeffrey Paul Bobrick, featuring the Blazing Rye panel. And now, Mayor Bloomberg, Spanish. Speaking right-hand man, Ryan Holmes. Hey, everybody. What's going on? It's Monday, August 29th, 2011. Glad to have you with us tuning in to Blazing Rye Radio, either over the phone or online with our chat room. we got a jam-packed show coming for you tonight, but first, it's time to start off with something we always like to do at the top of the show. It's the Blaze and Ride panel. Tonight, I'm joined by the host of one of Broadway's most popular variety shows, Broadway Sessions, which has been packing audiences in at the Midtown Theater, Ben Cameron. I'm also joined by the producer of this here show and the, the Richter to my O'Brien, the Lancaster to my Rivers, the duck to my butter, the rue to my McClanahan, Mr. Jonathan DeMar. Boys, welcome back to the program. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Uh, Ryan, you speak uh, Spanish? How are, how are both of you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm very, I'm well, I'm very well. <laughs> and you, Jonathan? I'm very well as well. Oh, good. Now we're so speaking get, in verse. <laughs> we are. <laughs> let's get right down to it. Um, so, uh, VMAs happened last night, and Kevin Hart, who's a comedian, who actually is a funny guy, aside from the fact that he did Soul Plane, which probably set his career back about 20 years, um, <laughs> he uh, made a little quip at the Jersey Shore cast last night um, about uh, them possibly being, you know, uh, riddled with STDs. Um, mm. And apparently it didn't get a laugh, and uh, there was just an awkward pause, and it was just awkward for everyone. Jonathan DeMar, what do you make of this? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of really don't give a shit about what, it, what people, uh, the whole Jersey Shore business. So I, I, I sort of think, oh, who cares, really? I mean, uh, it's a joke. People should it's get over themselves. It's so stupid. Remember the Golden Globes? And Ben Cameron, yeah, this, is your, this is your favorite show, no? No, uh, th- listen, this, this is, this, that moment is, it was far and away, but I'm close to being the worst moment of the VMAs last night. I mean, you think that was a hot that was a hot box of crazy. So I think a little STD comment about the Jersey Shore is completely apropos and and probably very true. 
I'd agree with yeah. that. They're well, disgusting monsters. Aren't they just disgusting little monsters? <laughs> oh, they're, they're terrible. Just skeevy, <laughs> creepy creatures. <laughs> and the VMAs is supposed to be like if you're gonna if you're gonna make a comment on like that on any show, make it on the VMAs. It's known for that sort of chaos and oh, sure. <clears throat> that's what they want. They want it yeah. to just be a nutty freak show, and that's that's what they got. Yeah, right. and, and, and just to make it brief, they also want ratings. I mean, that's the big thing for them. So anything that oh, really sure. goes over the top for any sort of uh, entertainment enterprise like this, they're going to do anything they can. And it seems like they had a lot of those moments. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the DNAs and those moments, um, a lot happened last night. Uh, mm. uh, most notably... Beyonce reveals her baby bump. Also, Justin Timberlake showed up. I mean, sorry, Justin Bieber. Oh, my goodness. Justin Bieber yeah. showed up <laughs> with, I cannot believe I did that, with a snake around his neck. And he kept making jokes about. I did. I can't believe I did that. Uh, Justin Bieber made jokes about his pet snake right around his girlfriend, Selena Gomez. And clearly he was making a sort of double entendre that we didn't know he was capable of. Um, yeah. And uh, apparently, uh, Lady Gaga fell down after her performance. I mean, yeah. uh, what did you think of last night's show, Ben Cameron? Well, first of all, I just want to say to everybody that I'm just horribly ashamed to admit that I watched the entire thing from top to bottom, and I and I I feel deep shame. I'm not cool enough to tune into this program, but I did. Um, I thought Justin Bieber looked like a weenie, and that wasn't funny. That. Thing and I think Chris Brown needs to be lit on fire and thrown into the street. Frankly, oh my God, don't you think uh, so? I do. I just I don't get it. I think he's so awful. And I think if you're gonna do a big comeback performance, he lip synced the entire thing to different voices and then flew himself around. It was ridiculous. I think you have to give him where credit is due, though, in the sense that pulling Man. off all those stunts. I Man. mean, they had to choreograph that. That was tricky enough, and I think yeah. the guy's been under so much fire, Ben, that it's sort of, it's one of those moments where he's trying to shine, and, you know, I, I understand the whole lip-syncing thing. I'm not a big fan of it either. I don't think any, you know, but it wasn't true even clever artist loves to do it. I mean, but it wasn't even clever. I mean, he was like listening it. to voices that weren't the same. This, Listen, that's you right. Can, you can put a bear in a tutu in a harness and fly him around <laughs> in a theater if you want to. I don't. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm. I'm not on. I'm not on Team Brown. Well, it's it's very it's very odd that you, you know I feel like he. Um, I mean, he obviously has had a lot of personal issues, but he very rarely gives a bad performance. So it's interesting that he apparently, according to Ben Cameron last night, the performance. You're not Team Breezy. Well, at least at least fake it. At least like if you're gonna if you're gonna get up there and lip sync like a crazy person. At least, like, give me a give me a track that sounds live. But it's like, there was nothing believable. I thought it was all nonsense. Apparently, and, I feel very uh, strongly about this. Jonathan, what about um, Lady Gaga falling down after her song? Do you think that she did that just so people would talk about her more? Well, you know, she's done so many stunts, and I think uh, I'm not the only one who feels that way. She's done a lot of stuff to get attention. She's an artist, and somehow, I guess, that she managed to make news once again. I mean... Remember, I, I don't remember what award show it was, but she was covered in blood, and mm-hmm. everybody was so freaked out that it was real when it was, you know, all an act. She does so much of her stuff theatrically that I really couldn't tell what it was, but that character was very interesting. It was a little bizarre, uh, but she kind of pulled it off. But I, I will say the reaction from Justin Bieber 
absolutely priceless. His what look, did he do? Um, just his, his expression. I don't know if you <laughs> saw, like the minute while he watching piano, Gaga. Yeah, while watching Gaga, Justin Bieber. I mean, that was rich. That was rich. <laughs> wow. And um, Ben Cameron, you wore uh, one of those neat dresses that Gaga wears to one of your recent events, no? Uh, no, absolutely, yeah. You just have to really, <laughs> really move quickly when you're wearing something like that. <laughs> and how about the big talk of, of the, the night? Um, well, I'd say there's two things. There's Adele killing her performance, and there's Beyonce revealing that she is pregnant. Uh, what do you think about that? Both of those things, Ben Cameron. I thought they were both completely gorgeous. I counted, I rewound, and I counted. Beyonce did five <laughs> key changes in her song, which I always approve of, and I thought that Adele's song is a, is a masterpiece, and I just think they're both terrific. But then again, I'm and a gay person, tomorrow. so... <laughs> uh, let's get, let's get a, a different perspective. John DeMar, what do you think about Beyonce being pregnant? I mean, you know, good for her, and that she can still perform. I mean, that's uh, pretty incredible. Uh, I think both of them were outstanding, and uh, it, it's interesting... When I watch award shows like this, I always find it fascinating um, because in oh, you, you have all these cast of characters and see how people, you know, react to each other, et cetera, because it, it really does feel like when you hear these stories about people, it's like um, so it's like a TV series of some unbiblical proportions. It's, it's really kind of crazy <laughs> that way. Because it feels um, like it isn't even real, you know. It's a, it's a, it's says, a, which, you know, I don't even pay attention that much to celebrity talk because I'm not really interested in that. But, you know, yeah. when you hear something and then you watch it on TV and see sort of the psychology of everything, it, it's quite kind of fascinating, I have to say. <laughs> well, speaking of crazy biblical, we were supposed to get a huge storm over the weekend. Um, in one word, describe to me how Hurricane Irene made you feel, uh, Jonathan DeMar. Well, I was in Atlanta, but um, still in Atlanta. But uh, for my friends in New York, bizarre. <laughs> and uh, Ben Cameron, uh, bring a book. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> less three words. But I know. Uh, ben, John, do you guys know how this uh, Hurricane Irene uh, has made me feel? It made you feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Thoughts go out to the people who were actually affected by the hurricane. Um, but let's talk about our city. Let's talk about Manhattan and Brooklyn specifically. If you are going to be a minor nuisance to New Yorkers, you must come by on weekdays. We have shit to do on the weekends. You can't come by, scare the crap out of us, and leave like a dose of clap. This is New York. We have things to do. We have shows to put on in Manhattan, ironic T-shirt parties to attend in Williamsburg, Ecstasy to do in that warehouse in Sunset Park, baby strollers to knock over in Park Slope, old gay creeps with chiseled bodies to avoid in Hell's Kitchen. Ben, you know who I'm talking about. That one guy who follows you to every gay bar with an old ass face and a young hard body, whether it's the Ritz yeah. or Therapy or Bartini. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we have, 
<laughs> we have street festivals to go to and people to have sex with. No more messing with our weekends. Irene, you made us think we would get Monday off. You were the New Yorkers where Ricky Schroeder is the Ben Cameron, just a big tease. Ben Cameron, Jonathan DeMar, thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs> Talk to you guys later. All right. Thank you, All right. Ryan. All right. Bye. Take care, guys. All right. My first guest is one of the most sought-after acting coaches in the entertainment industry. His new book, Sign on Acting, A Vision of the Craft, is available in stores now. Please welcome Howard Fine. Is that a standing ovation? I think you just received a standing ovation, and you haven't even said anything yet. That I don't know if I can live up to that. <laughs> well, how are you? How is your summer going so far? Yeah, really well, actually. Actually, I was in the cold. I, I just got back from teaching uh, master classes in Australia, and I was right in their winter. Oh my goodness! So it's the, the sea. That's where the seasons are the opposite. Totally the opposite. Well, how, what, how cold was it? Uh, like L.A. cold. Like put on a sweater. We don't know from cold here. You know, it's not <laughs> East Coast cold. <laughs> so it's like sixty degrees. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, well, I I lived in L.A. for for a couple of years, and I uh, uh, I have to say, when I moved back to New York, my blood did thin out. Where I, I became very sort of a, a wimp when it came to the weather when I got back here. Well, it yeah, it has to harden you after a while, you know. And just just think of what when I if you lived in L.A., you know, the big thing is it's raining. Are you going out? You're not going to go out. It's <laughs> raining. Are you? And, and the weather people who say the same thing every day get very excited when there's some actual weather here in Los Angeles. I know. And how about the people, Los Angelinos, trying to drive in the rain? Have you ever seen anything that disastrous? You know, anytime I go to the Registry of Motor Vehicles and I look around, I get really frightened. I think these people have licenses. <laughs> you know, it's scary. That is very true. But you need to. You need to in, in L.A. Um, so, Howard, um you, uh, I'm looking at my notes here, and it's truly incredible that the the names of the people you've worked with, um, Brad Pitt, Lindsay Lohan, Jennifer Connelly, Chris Pine, Amanda Fiennes, Justin Timberlake, and tons of others. Uh, is there are there any particular people with whom you've worked that have stood out or that you've noticed a lot of improvement with? Anyone that you can, um, anyone that you think that 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 comes to your mind? Well, I like talking about Chris Pine because Chris, before he got his break in Star Trek, uh, came back to take the beginning technique class at my studio. And he was already a working actor, but that's what he wanted to do. And he loves doing theater, so he auditioned for a Neil Labute play called Fat Pig at Geffen Playhouse. And we worked on that. The people who cast Star Trek saw him in Fat Pig, and because of that, that's how his career changed. But it changed because he could really do the work. He wasn't just a flash in the pan. Yeah, and he, what a, what a Captain Kirk he wound up being. He was, uh, that movie was great. He was great. Um, and you know what's and, interesting uh, is he, he was auditioning for all this stuff before, but, mm-hmm. you know, and doing the same level of work. But if you don't have that big resume credit, it's very hard to book the other types of films that you really want to do. Yeah, definitely. I actually was, when I lived in L.A., my friend made me go to this, miserable outdoor well, indoor barbecue in Hollywood 
and uh, I, I really didn't like our mutual friend that we were going to see, and it just turned out that this skinny kid with these amazing eyes was there who just happened to be Captain Kirk later on, but, you know, I, he had just finished doing Just My Luck with Lindsay Lohan. I, I had no idea that, you know, he would come to be this big star, so I hung out with him when he was young and, and scrawny. <laughs> He's still thin. He just looks good on screen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he just looks bigger on the big screen, I guess. Uh, and, then, and you and don't then take any responsibility. Sorry? Go ahead. I'm sorry. You don't take any responsibility for Lindsay Lohan's um, uh, drug and alcohol addiction, do you? Cause 100%. 100%. That's all me. <laughs> Actually, if, I, if it all comes out now on your show, I was her first dealer. And what did you sell to her, sir? Well, you know, it, I'm part-time acting coach and part-time dealer, you know, because you've got to keep my students happy. I have to keep them in a certain malleable state. So uh, I grow it. I sell it. I market it. Uh, <laughs> Is that the key to your success as an acting coach? I would say you, so. You I would say with drugs. Well, pretty much because if you keep people's awareness really low, then you look good. <laughs> and then they don't get as self-conscious about how badly they're acting. I would assume. Yeah, if they can't tell one day from the next, what does a bad review mean? <laughs> um, this, this is very corrupt, and I'm a little disturbed now. Um, but <laughs> I happened to listen to your show just prior, and I have the flavor of you guys now, so I'm I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just jumped right in. I like it. So, yeah. do you, do you, Howard? Do you find that even with everything that these stars that I've just mentioned have done, that that they still um, they still take acting classes, they still want to learn more. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the mark of anybody who has any real greatness in them. You know, for for all of us, mm -hmm. when we think, including me, when we think we we know it all, it's time to hang it up. Um, so you know, I, I really appreciate actors who are journeyman actors, like a Michael Chiklis, who's been my student for 20 years. You know, including mm -hmm. winning the Emmy on the Shield, and he wrote the introduction to my book. He's he's what I would call a lifer. He never stops. He never wants to get complacent. He never wants to sit down and say, I, I know everything. So it, it, it's like with the Olympics. The athletes are at the very top of their game, but the coaches are right there with them. And uh, the coaches mm -hmm. are still pushing them, and the athletes want that. And your journeyman actor actually is in that category. Yeah, so you think that the mark of a, a great artist is someone who constantly wants to work on their craft, get better at, at their craft? Actually, I think that's a mark of a great human being. It's a, a journey through life. When, when we stop being inquisitive and we stop wanting to learn, period, whatever we do, I think uh, that that's when it all becomes about a, a stupid level of ego that you, you never do anything great from that. And then you, do you just do you fall down deeper and just become a bad person after that? Like, is that how serial killers start? Uh, well, I, that's another course. That's an advanced course here. <laughs> Um, you got to start. I'm, I'm start. assuming that goes with the child acting courses. Well, because you got to start young. You know, <laughs> so you start with stalking bugs and you work your way up. It's a whole part of the training at my studio. I've trained a number of serial killers. Uh, actually, <laughs> actually, the sad thing about the, the, there's a truth. Anytime there's any kind of scandal or anybody gets any kind of press. They end up showing up at the acting studio. After the OJ trial, Cato Kalin showed up in my office. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So they, sometimes and people do get – I did not, no. You, 
Oh, you didn't? I did not, no. What was I he did. doing there? I, for he, drugs? I think that was probably it. Uh, and also uh-huh. uh, uh, fast food, which is also another division here. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not end up working with him, no. But that happens. You know, whenever there's any wow. kind of scandal and so, go ahead. Well, well, along these lines of, of like actors who constantly want to wor- learn more. I mean, say like Brad Pitt is pretty good. Uh, does he really need to do Meisner exercises? I don't know. I don't teach Meisner, so. Aha! So that is he, is he studying? Is he studying the Meisner in secret? <laughs> no, how? I I don't know. Are you breaking you something to me that I don't know? No, 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 no. He's not cheating on you, no. Are you going to have the other coach on now, and this is going to be some kind of cat fight? <laughs> It'd be like a Maury Povich. You oh, are. I knew father. it. I walked right into this. <laughs> um, you know, it, it is. Uh, the thing about the acting coach, I don't get a percentage of their careers. It, it's a different type of relationship, especially as you start to succeed. You tend to get surrounded by yes people. And the acting-coach relationship should not be that. So when somebody really wants an, uh, an opinion that is, has nothing to do with the bottom line, uh, it becomes a, a very trusting and, and powerful relationship. So you wouldn't, then in that case, um, I'm guessing, you wouldn't treat like a Brad Pitt differently from a student who's just, you know, fresh out of college in terms of the, how, um, I mean, you, you wouldn't be easy on a Brad Pitt, which well, it depends on the type of car they drive. So if, <laughs> if you have a young kid who drives a Maserati, I treat them the same. It really <laughs> depends. And I really watch for what they're pulling up in. To say, no, <laughs> Seriously, no, I don't treat anybody differently. I, I'm sort of known as, you know, the Betty Ford Clinic was known for treating everybody the same and making people take out the trash. Uh, it's, <laughs> the same in, it's the same in my classes. You'll see uh, rock stars in class, like uh, Jerry Halliwell, the lead singer of the Spice Girls, setting up mm-hmm. furniture for other people's scenes and telling me, oh, my wow. God, my, my, I've sung in front of 100,000 people, but my hand is shaking here putting up a scene in class because it's so exposing. So, But you got to yeah. – sometimes I meet with, with rock people or celebrities who want to be taught one-on-one, and you can't do that. That's BS. You can't teach somebody one-on-one. Yeah. You can coach them. But acting is a, a contact sport. You have to be in a class, and you have to be treated like everybody else. So you can't do one-on-one. Then you, would you agree with this? I heard this assessment, assessment once of uh, auditioning. There is no such thing. Like, say you have to do a monologue. There's no such thing as a monologue. It's always a dialogue. But you need to, you know, you need to be reacting to what the other person that you're talking to, even though they're not actually talking to you, um, reacting to what they're doing. Would you agree that there is no such thing as a monologue? Uh, well, there there is a true monologue where no one else is on stage and you are mm-hmm. speaking out loud to yourself. However, that's incredibly rare. What most people call monologues are really speeches, you're right, scenes where one person has the balance of the conversation. And, you know, if you had a a fight with your partner and you're coming in and you're talking and you're getting a sort of dagger's expression back at you, that's conditioning everything that you're saying even though the other person is not speaking. So that's absolutely true. Yeah. Cool. Um, Now you, uh, speaking of the whole celebrity world that we've been talking uh, about a bit, it seems that right now 
uh, reality TV has become the big thing, and I'm sure in some cases this must make you, the acting coach, cringe, no? Well, I call these situations conversions. <laughs> They've existed for years. Rock stars want to become actors, uh, athletes. When people win the gold medals at the Olympics, I think, okay, there's my next student. Um, so reality is just one more way of getting some press. The thing is, the people who sometimes succeed in the reality world have developed no particular skill. At least an athlete has a discipline that a lot of these folks coming out of the reality world don't. And sometimes when somebody's handed success or fame very quickly, the personality has not been developed. There's nothing else there, and and they think they can. They feel entitled, uh, and that mm-hmm. person is rarely. They're not going to succeed in my class. Maybe they'll get a flash of 15 minutes out in the world, but I, I have very little interest in any of that. So I, I did appear on a on a reality show called Confessions of a Teen Idol. Uh huh. And how was that? It, it, well. I, you felt really bad because you had all these people who had lost their success. All of them had been teen idols at one point, but they had no idea why everything left them, and it really left them because they hadn't developed their acting skills. And it still hadn't, oh, wow. occurred, still hadn't occurred to them that they needed to do that. Who were the, who were the teen idols that were on the show? Uh, David Chokichi, uh, Christopher Atkins. I don't lump Christopher yeah. in the same category. He really was a much more thoughtful guy, but... There was a whole cast of people who had, you know, had done the Baywatch thing, and then sure, yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard those names in a long time. Yeah. Um, well, we've talked about who you enjoyed working with. While we're on this, is there anyone that that was extremely difficult to work with? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you would need to have an electric shock tied to me to to get that one. Uh, <laughs> I, figured, I, figured. I can tell you that I even had Mike Tyson in class, and, and I got and him. I got him to raise his. I, challenging, but he. I got him to raise his hand and Uh-oh. behave. The, yeah. The talker was it just an involuntary spasm? <laughs> it was me using my best teacher look, saying, "You will sit down and raise your hand in my class." And there was a moment where I thought, "Oh my god." <laughs> With. Was this a post-tattoo or pre-tattoo on his face? So, okay. Lost Howard will... Hold on, we're going to get him back. Hold on. We'll be right back. Hang tight, everyone in the chat room. Uh, remember, coming up, we have uh, Jeffrey Paul Bobrick returning. Oh, he's show. back. Ryan, ah. he's back. Yes, he's back. Okay. Howard, you there? Yeah, did you lose me at Mike Tyson? <laughs> yeah, you, I lost you right before, I think, the climax of the story where you, you thought to yourself, oh, my God. Oh, my God, I'm an idiot. And then uh, there was a second where I held my breath, and then he looked at me and he said, yes, sir. And that was the end of that, and then he respected me. <laughs> but, but I probably, wet, I probably wet my pants in the process. <laughs> was this pre-tattoo on the face or post? This is just prior. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. But, and right. do you take responsibility for that tattoo as well? I did it. <laughs> after I sold him. Wow. After so I sold him. You job. really are a renaissance man out there, huh? Don't, I guess you need you to be in L.A. you got to supplement your income with selling drugs and putting tattoos on Mike Tyson's face. 
you know, it's a rough life sometimes, i got to tell you. Um, so looking, looking at who's currently out there, um, which young actor, young actor have you noticed lately, um, Howard, that you've been the most impressed by? I'm impressed with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, sure. I think he's really interesting and he could have the type of career that Johnny Depp has had, which is quirky and unpredictable and surprising. And I love this girl who's in the help, Emma Stone. Yeah. I think she's and also she's not breaking in, but isn't it nice to see an actress like Viola Davis get her break? And uh I think the help I think the help is going to be breakout for a lot of a lot of that cast. Yeah, I I have not seen that yet. I did just see Emma Stone in a movie I think called The Paper Man with Jeff Daniels, where it's sort of a weird love stories between the two of them slash like father daughter type relationship. It's really, uh, uh, she's, she's very good in it. Yeah. I, I think she's, she's definitely one to watch. You know, it's exciting to see always the next generation coming up, uh, and always exciting to see the, the solid people. And, you know, my longtime very favorite is Meryl Streep. And, mm-hmm. you know, I say, I say this a lot. Athletes are old at age 30. But actors have the potential to get better and better with age and experience, and we've seen that with a Meryl Streep. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, she's my favorite too. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, one of the things I noticed about you was that you did a lot of uh, directing at a young age and still do it. Do you find that there's a? Um, what do you think is the difference between directing and coaching? Oh, that's an excellent question. Thank you for asking that. Uh, in in directing, you have to get to a performance, and you have you know you're facing an opening, and you're facing critics, so it's got to get to uh, to the result at some point. With teaching mm-hmm. and coaching, I let the actors find a lot more of it, and since it's class, I will let them fail, so that they can discover for themselves. Because what happens is if the teacher does too much directing in class, you're, it's as if you've, you're, in a, you're in a history class and you're giving somebody the cheat sheet. They're never going to learn it for themselves, and they don't have their own breakthrough, and they get more and more neurotically dependent on the coach. One of the things that right. I try to do is get people to be empowered. I don't go on set. There are a lot of acting teachers who do that. I think, boy, when does the – student become the professional. Imagine a surgeon bringing their teacher into the operating room. You wouldn't really feel good as the patient in that scenario. And so I think it's pretty yeah. silly I think it's pretty silly for the acting teacher to show up on the set and handhold the celebrity. It's silly. Now did you just in a roundabout way also confess to selling cheat sheets to your younger acting students? Well if you can make a buck I pretty much have to look at the total package. We even have a drive through car wash here at the studio. You know, got to get it at every point. You know, I mean, I'd be out there taking, I'd be out there taking photographs and giving them headshots if I need to. You got to, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Well, oh my God. Well, you, you've worked with Justin Timberlake. How is he as dreamy in person as he is in the movies? Yes, because he's a really, really nice person. And uh, oh, that's so good to hear about people who could like potentially be huge divas like him who's this like triple threat entertainer it's nice to hear that you know yeah you, you know it, I, 
the ones that tend to come for coaching are already in the real world. Their feet are on the ground. They're wanting the help. So pretty much I don't get that deeper type of personality would probably never come for coaching anyway. Right. That's true. Yeah. I can't imagine a lot of people who wouldn't want to actually learn more would be signing up for your courses. Um, And uh, I do want to talk about your, your book fine on acting, which is basically described as your uh, 25 years of valuable insight as an actor and coach. What can readers expect to take away from the book? And was there a theme that you focused on when you wrote it? You know, I, I think, um, what I really try to do is keep it on the ground. I'm not the uh, ethereal coach that speaks in all flowers and then you can't use it. Uh, it's a tangible, practical, uh, truthful way of working, and uh, it's about truthfully using yourself. But it step-by-step will take you through a process of personalization and breaking down a script. It's a very, very, I hope, user-friendly guide to acting that that I think anybody can understand. And also anybody can benefit from reading because it's going to give you some insight into human behavior, which is what acting ultimately is the study of. Sure. Okay. So it it actually does sort of um, – there is some talk about uh, the method of, of acting. Where, what, what do you uh, subscribe to? I mean, is there a certain, um, you know, acting figure that – You've looked up to that you've studied Stanislavski or Uta Hagen or, or anyone yeah. like Uta, that. Uta Hagen was my mentor, so I very much oh. ta- I very much have taken her work and sort of run my own leg of the relay race. But Hagen mm-hmm. at my studio, we use Hagen's book, A Challenge for the Actor, and my book. So we're taking from her and then we're moving it we're moving it forward. It all really started with Stanislavski, who. Mm-hmm wanted to see if acting could actually even be taught. And all he did was go to the best actors of his day and look at his own work as well and see if the people who he admired were doing something consistently. And he began to evolve a system of teaching. We get too hung up in what method, what approach. Uda never called what she taught a method. It was, to her, common sense. How can you not, when you're looking at a scene, figure out what just happened, where you've just come from, where you are, what you want? what your relationships are, it it's replicates what we automatically have in real life. And so uh, it's very, very practical and very common sense. So do you, so then it sounds like you really focus on uh, the common sense, listening to each other, really talking to each other aspect of acting, no? Yes, exactly. So that, you know, what's interesting is everybody thinks they can act because great acting looks effortless, but it isn't. You don't watch the Olympics and watch people ski down the giant slalom and think, gee, I could do that. That looks easy. But you see a great, you see a great performance, and it looks effortless. It's not. It takes a lot of work to get it to appear that way. But when it's done well, that's what you want. And so people mistakenly think there's no craft behind it. But not unlike a great musician, there's truly a craft, and it has to be learned. Because right. a non-actor can have luck can have a particular role that just they they get, but you, they're not going to sustain a career. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, now, it sounds like a really fascinating book. Where can people pick it up? Uh, Amazon is easiest. 
uh, all of the Samuel French bookstores, uh, Skylight Books, Drama Bookshop in New York, uh, Book Soup. So it's it's around. Barnes and Noble online has it. So everywhere, basically. I wish I'm not quite outselling J.K. Rowling yet, but you know, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I like how you said "yet" there. That's that's the mark of a great acting teacher. I can't do this yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the mark of an optimist. <laughs> um, well, Howard, we're going to play a game. We always play on the show. It's called Hot or Hot Mess, where I give you, Howard, fine, a list of things. You tell me if they're hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's open it up. And after that, he sort of says, oh, my goodness. Wrong clip. Let's open it up. Okay. First up on Hot or Hot Mess, Keanu Reeves, Hot or Hot Mess. Oh, God. This is a tough category. Uh <laughs> I would say sometimes hot, sometimes hot mess. I think it ranges. I think in uh, in certain things hot and in certain things hot mess. So you think like maybe in speed hot and hardball hot mess or the opposite? Uh, I think in the Matrix hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would have to veer off to hot mess. <laughs> um how about um, how about Adam Sandler, hot or hot mess? Uh, hot. Hot. Good. Well, speaking of Mike Tyson, um, this is from Broadway's A Christmas Carol. Jonathan Demar's Mike Tyson impression. Is this hot or a hot mess? I can I can talk the way I want to talk. If you have a problem, change the station. Hot, uh, hot mess. A little more toward Marlon Brando than Mike Tyson. I'd have to say hot mess. <laughs> Thank you. I've been trying. We've been trying to figure out who that actually sounded like, but it is it is like Brando in The Godfather. There you go. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, okay. Uh, let's give him a little chance to redeem himself from Broadway's The Christmas Carol. This is Jonathan Demar's Rip Torn impression. And after that, he sort of says, he says, somebody owes me a martini, and the whole <laughs> table cracks up. Is like somebody else me a martini? Hot that or hot is, mess? That is, well, since I coached Gary Shandling on all five years of the Larry Sanders show, I'm going to rate that as hot. Oh, that is a huge compliment uh, to Mr. DeMart. Uh, did do you did did Larry did uh oh my God did Gary not Larry did Gary Shandling ever tell you uh, any any rip torn stories? I was there for one. I can, give, I, I can give it to you. I was. Uh, I don't again go on set, but since Gary was producing and writing, what I would do is work with him in his office near the set. And one day, uh, I think it was the very last season, they had an inexperienced director, and there was a problem with Rip Torn. So Gary asked me if I would walk over to the set with him. He was afraid afraid of what was he was about to walk into. And just as we got there, this young director was telling Rip Torn, okay, on this one line, I want you to walk over, stand directly in front of your employee, and deliver this speech directly to his eyes. And Rip Torn said, why? What am I going to do? Screw him? <laughs> that 
<laughs> yeah. So, and actually, Rip Torn was right. There was no reason for him to cross and stand directly in front of him and do that, but he, he may have phrased his response a little indelicately. <laughs> And did you have to? Um, did you have? Did you have to talk him down, or, or Gary just yeah, wanted Gary, you there for Gary comfort? Gary did. I I stayed way off to the side and way out of it because you could feel pressure cooker at a distance. You, if he were a cartoon character, there'd be steam coming out of his ears. You would see it. <laughs> I keep guns really? in my apartment. Yeah. Oh, my, oh, you know what? Sometimes Rip Torn calls in and just starts interrupting our show. So sorry about that. Bear with him, but he's I don't want to take you on the beach. Uh, Rip, you got to get off the line. All right. Well, how about Rip Torn um, going to uh, breaking into a bank at gunpoint, thinking it was his house? Is that hot or a hot mess? I would say half. That's that's a clear hot mess. Yes, I, I don't <laughs> think it's a. I don't think it's advisable to break into banks and not realize you're doing it. <laughs> Um, but breaking into banks and realizing it is fine. Well, if you if you were premeditated, actually, I was just I had three weeks on jury duty, so my head is around all of this stuff. Uh, premeditated, I think, is fine because at least you're in your rational mind. You've got a game plan. Breaking into a bank <laughs> drunk is akin to me like drinking and driving. I, I don't I don't advise it. Well, he was drinking and driving and breaking into, a bank. <laughs> into the bank and with a gun. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's... all right. Last up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is Mayor Mike Bloomberg addressing the people of New York in Spanish. Uh, we'll take some questions, but first let me just try to summarize for our Spanish-speaking audience. Los vehículos que fueron abandonados en la calles durante la tormenta nos han dificultado la limpieza, pero estamos haciendo todo. Uh, lo posible y estamos utilizando todos los recursos que tenemos. Este es el esfuerzo de limpieza, limpieza más grande que ha visto nuestros ciudad. And with that, we'll be happy to take some questions, sir. Woo! Hot or hot mess? Now, I need clarification. Is this after the blizzard or after Irene? Irene. Oh, I see. I, I would have to say hot mess. Um, Too much. Yeah. As an acting coach, what would you tell Mayor Bloomberg to do? Learn how to speak Spanish. (laughs) Oh, and me, um, Mr. Fine, in my uh, opening monologue tonight when I was talking about the uh, hurricane, I I totally ran out of breath. Uh, Would you scold me for that in an acting class? Well, I think if you entered a few marathons, it would help. You're saying I need to get in better shape. Well, I sense that. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, um, <clears throat> Howard, uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Make sure to check out Howard Fine's book, Fine on Acting, A Vision of the Craft, and you can also visit howardfine.com for information on his studio and upcoming classes. Um, thanks for doing it, sir. Thank you. I had a ball. Thank you so much. Awesome. We had a blast, too. Talk to you soon. Bye. Take care. All right. Uh, And my next guest is an artist whose uh, songs for Michael, uh, the one and only, was featured on Al Sharpton's radio show. He, like myself, is a true Michael Jackson fan. He just won a big Nokia contest, and he has a Billboard Award. Please welcome to the show, Jeffrey Paul Bobrick. Hey, Ryan. (laughs) 
but I think that's that's <laughs> that's the mark of of a great great vocalist. It really is, you know, Michael Jackson. Even at you know twelve years old, I think that's how old he was when he sang that song. He made it his to such an extent that Smokey, who was a great singer, uh, couldn't take it back. And that's the one I believe that uh, Barry Gordy told Smokey Robinson that he would uh, that Michael would do it better, even though it was his song. Well, uh, Barry Gordy uh, knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. What do you think about this? Um, you know, there's there's this big contradiction with Michael in that, and you, you notice it from the moment his uh, he went from. Um, being with the Jacksons to his solo career where, you know, one of the first singles, if not the first single, uh, Don't Stop So You Get Enough, you, you hear him at the beginning and he has this very shy kind of uh, voice, just a shy kiss from Gary Indiana, and then all of a sudden the music starts and he destroys the game with that and then, then his album after that uh, particularly. Um, what do you think about that, This you know, this shy guy, in private, and then just the bravest artist on stage. What do you make of that? Wow, that's a really complicated question. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think um, that is, I mean, on, on one level, uh, that's often the case with performers. Uh, oftentimes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, performers are very shy, and then they can, so to speak, reveal themselves when they are performing in a way that perhaps in their real life they never could. Um, I think that's true with a lot of performers. If you've ever seen Robert De Niro interviewed, uh, you'll know <laughs> what I mean. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like think, on Fallon that one time? Say that again? Like, oh, no, it was on Letterman that one time. I know yes, you tweeted yes, about it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, or any time you ever see him interviewed, it's it's <laughs> agonizing. You know, you know he's doing his best, um, but it's agonizing. And then he plays this character, and he's able to, you know, have a kind of freedom that he doesn't have um, when he's, so to speak, playing himself. I think that's true for a lot of artists. Um, they come alive um, when they are doing what they do uh, and doing what they love. Um, I also think that on the level of part of that the, the dichotomy between this shy, quiet, almost frightened uh, kind of figure uh, that, that, that Michael seemed to be at times, uh, the dichotomy between that and this aggressive, sexual, animalistic, uh, onstage creature that he was when he was performing um, is and was alluring to people. I think uh, human beings, we love contradiction we love antithesis uh we're, we're we're drawn into it and i think that michael um sometimes intentionally sometimes unintentionally uh was able to exploit that um in a way that was fascinating to 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 his audience and continues to be yeah uh, you articulated that better than i could have um what what did you think of this uh New, you know, Michael Jackson uh, got together this incredible group of artists, along with Lionel Richie for for We Are the World. Uh, what did you think of the new new version, Jeffrey Paul Bobber? <laughs> Hot mess, my friend. Um, <laughs> you know, look, I think anytime you're doing something for charity, it's a great thing. Um, I think it's uh, it's a good song. Um, I I think uh, you know. 
time will tell uh, which one people listen to, but I think clearly uh, the first one was very captivating, and um, the second version, uh, in my opinion, less so. Less? <laughs> Is that what you said, less? Less. Less captivating. Not as good. Not as good. But, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that... Uh, you know, they, they they certainly brought the auto tune. Uh, I'm, I'm I was, was going to say less, yeah, less captivating, but more auto tune. Yeah, well, I think I think more auto tune uh, can at times be less captivating. It all depends on how it's used, but that's a whole other side. You know, the great thing is, of course, um, Michael Jackson uh, up until his last studio album. You know, none of that was auto tune. That was all you know, real singing in the studio, and uh, and we you know we got to hear the real voice. Uh, the, the, we are the world. I'm glad that they're doing it. It's you know that they did it. It's great. Uh, anything for charity is a good thing, and uh, I prefer the first version. That's my taste. Well, and what you were talking about, he, and he mostly did his background vocals himself, correct? Yeah, he did. He did, and, uh, and also yeah, some per- percussion, as like some vocal percussion. He would do that on, on I believe, every album he released. Yeah, he, and it was one of the things that made his music very distinctive is that he would um he would add a lot of uh, little uh vocal percussions and uh, sometimes he would he would start that as a, a basis of certain songs and uh even when it wasn't uh his his vocal itself you know the ideas came from his voice so on a song like don't stop till you get enough you have all these little blips and you know little little fun little ear candy and a lot of that started in his mind and then went to his mouth and then went to, you know, a different kind of percussive instrument. Um, so I think his, his use of beatboxing uh, definitely influenced his, his music and his sound, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and he was able to, with his beatboxing, I, I think, he, like, real instruments couldn't top what he did. They, they ne- it needed to be that way for those songs, you know? Well, it made his music, I mean, in, in my opinion... It made it very personal at times because nobody beatboxed exactly the way he beatboxed, and sometimes you, you know on certain songs he really exploited that. Um, in particular, uh, a song like "Who Is It" comes to mind. Uh, sure. A song like "Stranger in Moscow," in which his beatboxing formed the basis for the rhythm track, uh, which was a song that was so so personal. Um, I, you, you know the song "Stranger in Moscow," right? I do. Yeah, I mean that's a song that that uh, you know people don't I think realize how how autobiographical some of his music was. Um, Stranger in Moscow uh, is about literally being on a world tour and being in Moscow and having allegations uh, of of misconduct, flying around the world, and and uh, being in front of seventy thousand fans and 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 feeling so alone. And feeling, you know, I, I don't even want this this life anymore. I don't even want this fame anymore. Um, and the the it's a very haunting song. And the beatboxing really, uh, because it is the basis of the rhythm track, really kind of brings you. You feel like you're almost inside of his mind or inside of his soul as he sings. You know, how does it feel when you're alone and you're cold inside? Yeah, I, that you know, it's interesting you say that because that line stuck out to me today. When you're cold inside because yeah. that is an actual like you can feel that when you listen to it and you, yeah um so that's interesting that the, that his beatbox uh is the base the 
the for that track, um, and how personal he makes the songs. With that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know what? Uh, I want to make sure that we get to your song, um, but uh, I, I just wanted to ask you. You know, it's been it's been a little over two years since uh, Michael's passing. Um, do you find that his music? Um, still influences your music, your writing. Do you find that his his life or even his death influences the way that, that you write today? I think for any songwriter writing pop music, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson's music uh, is very influential and will continue to be for, you know, decades and decades and decades and decades. You spoke about Bob Dylan. You know, you, you, you can't talk about rock or folk or even pop and, and not speak about Bob Dylan as a songwriter and as someone who hugely influenced it. Uh, I think the same is true now, especially um, especially with, you know, how, how, how so much of pop music is, is dance-oriented uh, right now. For me, um, I think about Michael Jackson's music all the time as I'm writing music. Uh, I think about his, his attention to detail, his hookiness, uh, the melodies, you know, Michael is so much about melody, and I'm very much about melody. So um, my answer is, uh, I got a little general, but specifically, yes, absolutely, he influences me all the time. And in terms of uh, of everything else, I think with uh, his work ethic, his his attention to detail, his perfectionism, um, and his striving for, for greatness in everything he did certainly influences me in what I do. I aspire to that. Sure. Um, now you uh, took it upon yourself to to write this song shortly after his passing. Uh, tell me how this song, Michael, the one and only, uh, came to be. For well, uh, for the listeners who don't know yet. Sure. Um, well, I am, was, forever will be a great Michael Jackson fan, and I had the chance to to meet him on on two occasions and spend some time with him and. When he died, I was just as so many people were, especially people who, you know, loved his music deeply. Uh, I was really grief, you know, grief stricken. It was, and and uh, I I I just made this statement one night. I didn't plan. Oh, I'm going to write a Michael Jackson tribute song. It it just came it just came to me one night. I remember it was two in the morning, and I just I had to say something. I I had to say something, you know, and. That's that's what I had to say. So I wrote the song very quickly. I think a day or two after he passed away. And once I had written the song, I um, I actually I think how it happened was I actually sent it out, or I sent some lyrics out to some people, and I ended up getting an email from uh, Dominique Sharpton. Um, Reverend Al Sharpton's daughter, who who uh, had read the lyrics, loved the song, and wanted to hear the recording of it, and I didn't have the recording of it yet. <laughs> so I said, "Oh, let me get to this." <laughs> so I, I ended up, you know, going very quickly into the studio, making a recording, and then uh, that week was invited to perform it on. Uh, to perform the song on on the Reverend Sharpton's radio tribute to Michael Jackson, and eventually um, released it um, as a pay what you want download uh, through my website, so that people could get it for free if they wanted to. People could pay money 
if they wanted to. And the idea being that, um, you know, this is available and people can have it however they want it. I didn't want to, uh, you know, exploit Michael Jackson. I just wanted to share my feelings for him and people can do as they wish with that. Sure. Um, well, is it still up on your site? Yeah, it is. They can go to uh, ilovejpb.com, ilovejellypeanutbutterjpb.com, <laughs> and um, they can just put their uh, email address in the box on the site, and they'll get a link to download the song, and they can, like I said, they can download it for free if they want. It's totally fine. Cool. Well, such an egotistical website for such a humble man, um, but... <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, Jeffrey, we are going to leave uh, leave the listeners with that tonight. Um, Jeffrey Paul Bobrick, check him out, ilovejpb.com. Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure. And uh, long live the king of pop. Long live the king, absolutely. Uh, big thanks to Howard Fine as well, and we'll be back Thursday at 2 Eastern time with Annalie Ashford. Right now it is Jeffrey Paul Bobrick with Michael, the one and only. Have a good night, everyone.
Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.